Hey everyone and welcome to The Design of Everything, a podcast that uncovers people's creativity from all walks of life. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth, and this is episode number 33. My guests this week are KJ Neese and Sarah Beal, who are virtual reality designers, entrepreneurs, and a couple. In the past few years, with the release of various headsets and advances in video technology, virtual reality has become more and more accessible to the public, but as a medium, it has had a difficult time becoming mainstream. KJ and Sarah are in the midst of creating experiences that make the technology accessible, consumable, and fun. We discuss their approach to creating exciting content, navigating a relatively unknown medium, and what it's like working as a couple. Ooh, yikes. I personally think it's a fascinating field that seems to have some really exciting possibilities for entertainment, but will a virtual reality become so amazing that it's better than the real thing? Will we ever take off the headsets? Those possibilities could be scary to think about. So this is my conversation with KJ Neese and Sarah Beal about the design of virtual reality. Sarah, you go first. No, you go first. Okay, fine. So <laughs> anyway, so my name is KJ Nice. Um, I am the founder and I would say creative producer of Ingenious VR. Um, what I've been doing for the past year is trying to honestly figure out how to create VR content that not only is creatively interesting, but also can make money and also, uh, I, I'm not sure I want to say that. I'm trying to think. I mean, no, it's, 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 it's just it's just how do you monetize VR while keeping it creative and keeping it enjoyable and creating a product people actually want to consume? Because yeah. because at the end of the day, VR has having a weird place right now because in order to even consume the content, it's you you have to put on a cumbersome headset and buy expensive hardware. There's a lot of there's a lot of barriers to entry that we need to figure out how to break those down. <laughs> yeah, why but, not just go into reality? <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah, <laughs> if you could say so. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so for the for the past year, um, me along with Sarah um, have been have been trying to figure out the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sarah since broken off and have, has kind of started doing her own thing in other ways as too. Yeah, that was a long intro. <laughs> that is a long intro. I'm sorry, guys. You're supposed to say your name and your position. <laughs> your um, position. I'm Sarah. Uh, I am the... Sarah who? It's my last name? Yeah. yeah. Sarah Beal. Because uh, okay. there are a lot of Sarahs in this world. Uh, the chief creative officer of Ingenious VR. Um, and then by day, I also work um, as an experience designer at uh, Thinkwell Group. Oh. Yes. What is an experience designer? Uh, so we create location-based experiences, okay, um, such as like museums and theme parks and touring exhibits. Okay. Um, yeah, and so I think that's uh, 
have been able to bring that experience as well into VR and like transition, like what if VR was location-based as well? Yeah, I bet mm-hmm. that's a easy transition. For example, a, an amusement park, I would think that's an easy thing to translate to VR maybe. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of, a ton of amusement parks these days which uh, are really trying to bring VR into their lands. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily universal or disney um but a lot of like the more lower budget theme parks have been using vr um as a way to make themselves seem a little more higher budget that they're the ones that are innovating more surprisingly with vr yeah bigger companies an example that you we can actually talk about is something like um six flags yeah um you know six flags they had like one of their oldest coasters called the revolution um, uh, it, was, it was getting really old, kind of outdated. They were thinking about tearing it down, but then they actually just pumped in some VR headsets and actually ha- and almost kind of mimicked a universal, like uh, you, you would say TV ride, where mm-hmm. it's like, 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 a, like, a, like a, a, not a real coaster. You they put a TV screen in front of you, make it feel like it's, you're riding a real coaster. But you you still ride the ride? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, yeah. And, and, they, and they kind of flipped that on its head and actually had you ride a real coaster, but then put the headset on you and it was actually programmed for your specific chair and it, um it felt like you were actually you know like the lead uh you could say air force uh pilot against oh. aliens yeah oh and, wow yeah okay. and, and so so they kind of created a story for you riding this coaster and like, like you're like ducking and flying through yeah. buildings and flying into alien ships and shooting them down and so th- they wanted to create more of an immersive experience with with the idea of a coaster mm. and, and they did that last year and i i think it's a pretty great way to integrate vr into like a traditional theme park experience yeah, yeah. and i think why not necessarily the bigger companies are doing it but the little bit of like the smaller indie theme parks is because you don't have to build out props and a set is you can just put someone in a headset um and then they're already immersed in another world mm, okay okay so this is a you guys are a relatively new company mm-hmm. correct mm-hmm. and you're working in a relatively new medium it seems is it relatively new vr you know, it depends um, who you talk to. Depends on who you talk to, honestly. Um, VR has honestly been an idea, to my knowledge, since like the early 80s. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of things going on with Disney, with Disney Quest, which was kind of their first foray into VR back in like the mid 80s. Um, Nintendo tried to do their own VR thing with the Virtual Boy back in the late 80s. Um, both <laughs> the old Virtual Boy. <laughs> honestly, yeah. No, and and like and like like that was kind of like today's Oculus. You can you could say like like you know it was the same concept. I mean, if you think about it, it was you know you don't strap it on, you put it onto a tabletop. But in the same way, it's the same HMD head-mounted display style mm-hmm. headset. It just used a weird red flavored screen. Um, but in the end, you know, like it was the same idea. Um, but yeah, but that that was kind of like the like the first coming. Of, of the modern idea of virtual reality but i'm thinking of this now um they had things way back in the day called stereoopticons and if those listening want to google a stereoopticon it actually looks exactly like a vr headset today but that was made all the way back in the 19th century oh was that like the armchair uh armchair i don't know traveling essentially where you put the headset on and you look at slides pretty much yeah well yeah and you know like like that was oh. That, that, that was the kids version you know you click a button whoop, well no they had them for adults like before the kids version like uh i don't way back in the i don't know 1910s yeah, 19- 20s whatever yeah um but yeah it just made pictures look a little 3d 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then, you know, it, it would use something called um, stereoscopic uh, images mm -hmm. and which is kind of like mimics the way your eyes see things. You know, like one eye sees a little bit different than the other eye. Right. And so therefore put those together, you get a 3D image. Um, those were just basically like, like you said, just 3D images placed in front of your eyes. Okay. If, if you ever go to Disneyland, if you walk down Main Street, um, you'll actually see that there's some stereopticons in one of the windows in the far end of the park. Ah, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice little plug for yeah. Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you this even know that. This whole thing is just a plug for theme parks. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how are you guys now? I feel like it's a new medium that is more at the forefront now of, p of the public consciousness anyway. Mm -hmm. So how are you guys navigating that? Um, I would say, uh, that's the thing. You would think it's at the forefront, um, because and, and anyone we talk to within this space knows about VR or virtual reality. But like at the end of the day, I would say honestly, like maybe five to ten percent of the public these days. Mm -hmm. This is not a scientific number. This is just a guesstimate. But I would say like five to ten percent of the public actually knows what the word, what, what the buzzword VR actually means. Um, just think, be well, it's more than five to ten percent are aware of VR. I would say. Yeah, I mean, but 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 at the end of the day, it is still being given as a novelty like during Christmas. Yeah, you know, Google Cardboard. Is that not? I wouldn't even say it's there. Yeah, no, th th that's the thing. Like, like it's it's a very weird thing to do or talk about still these days. Mm -hmm. You know, like 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 you give it to your grandma and she goes crazy for twenty minutes and then she puts it down. And you know, or you know, or you give someone a Google Cardboard, you know, and like the kid loves it, he can't put it down for the next five days, and then you have to tear it away from him. I mean, like that, you know, it's, it's just such a weird place in the public persona right now mm -hmm. because there's a lot of confusion and a lot of you know misinformation and bad content and really good content and not ways to get the good content mm -hmm. so so there's just not a great way for people to experience the best that vr has to offer just yet well that leaves me back to my original question yeah how are you guys navigating that i mean i think we've pivoted a few times because yeah. originally we started out with marketing activations which means what? Um, like creating VR experiences um, for marketing purposes for you know different companies that want to use 360 as a cool way to advertise their company, like our Southwest project and MLB. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah. So pretty much, um, it was it was really cool. You know, I, I mean, I, I was approached by a marketing agency, which was then you know being represented by Southwest Airlines, or maybe switch those. Um, but either way, Southwest Airlines was involved, and they 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 are in a, in the in a good place of just wanting to attach themselves to cool ideas and cool new. They've always things. been. Yeah, which 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 yeah. is really great for something like virtual reality. Um, so what we were able to do is actually um, it, it was for a uh, a tack on experience um, for their sponsorship of University of Texas Austin of their mm -hmm. football team the Longhorns, um, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to send fans to a place they couldn't go otherwise, um, and so the idea was to in order to to basically take a VR video and allow you to do a self guided tour um, behind the scenes of the University of the University of Texas Longhorns football stadium. Okay. Um, yeah, and and so, and so that was literally our first foray ever into mm -hmm. VR. Um, and you know, and we dove in. We tried some some new stuff out. We made some innovations. Um, we, I would, to my knowledge, we are the first people to do what I call interactive VR video, which actually allows you to point and click within a VR video space um, in order to make your own adventure along the way. So it's point and click how. Um, just just with the headset um, the, in every gear VR um, back then I was I was on the side of the headset these days it's a remote um, I say back then like it was so long ago it was literally nine months ago um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
No, but but yeah, but it, like you know, think think like total like Tron style. You would point and then tap like almost your temple, and and, the, and then you would then go to a new location or right, go to a okay. new place. Yeah. It's kind of like navigating on uh, Google Maps or Google Street View then. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. And, and then we did that for Southwest um, and the University of Longhorn, Texas Longhorns. Then we did something um, in the Milwaukee Brewers Project or Milwaukee Brewers uh, Stadium where a very similar thing. Um, it, it's just, you know, sending a fans to a place they couldn't go otherwise. So we did a behind the scenes in the locker room during batting practice, during fielding practice, all those um, just basically to give people a new way to experience the things they love in mm-hmm. sports. Now, is this is this just still photography or, or uh, not photography but it's not moving parts there aren't characters walking around in the stadium oh yeah there are oh there are yeah. okay well well so for university of texas um it, we it, it was we were struggling with a lot of rights issues going in, into the project because um the ncaa this is maybe going too far in a tangent but well, 10 seconds um but the ncaa I um I know, right? <laughs> the, the, the ncaa doesn't allow for um a brands to attach themselves to any specific players right and so so players appear onto a sponsored into sponsored content that then relinquishes their amateur status yeah. so, so we couldn't have any players at all in the in the, in the longhorns project but when it goes to the milwaukee brewers they're pros they get paid for what they do so then we were allowed to use them actually in our footage oh wow that's yeah. pretty fun yeah it was a lot of fun did the players enjoy it yeah, I mean, I mean, the players. I mean, when we were filming it, they would come by and ask us like, "What are you guys doing? Like, this is so cool!" And we're like, "Yeah, we're just shooting some VR video." And they all seemed really into it, and they kind of like even motioned to the camera and looked at the camera, and, like threw balls at the camera too, and yeah. in, 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 in like fun jovial ways, not to break it. And yeah, <laughs> no, so it was good. Well, okay, so that's why did you guys get into this? Did you did you consciously make an effort to get into virtual reality or did you get dragged in? Uh, I would say I got dragged in. <laughs> 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 I um back in college I I was going to be a screenwriter. <laughs> uh, not necessarily for VR. I had no idea what VR was and then my boyfriend over here started taking me to all these VR conferences um and they kept referring to how VR is so similar to theater and theater on top of film is my background mm-hmm. and has always been like my first passion. And I was really intrigued by that statement and was like, huh, I guess it is kind of similar because you don't really have many cuts. Like you, it feels like you're on stage with the actors. And I thought, well, that's a really cool medium to experiment with. Yeah. And there are like, do you, can you name any VR writers? Like I thought maybe I could be like one of the Burge, you know, preliminary VR writers. Um, so that's how I got into it. I was dragged into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess for me, um, I always tell the story for anyone who cares. Um, but what happens, um, I, I was, I got really into video games during my sophomore year of college and I played one specific game called Bioshock, uh, specifically Bioshock Infinite, which was the third <laughs> game in the, in, in the series. Um, but there's this scene, um, where you are, you know, cause, cause games, I think for a long time felt like they needed to be extraordinary. Um, you know, you needed to be someone saving the world from aliens. You needed to shoot, you know, military people. You needed, you know, like it needed to mm. be extra larger than life, larger yeah. than life in order to make it awesome. And um, I remember there was a scene in Bioshock, which is guilty of that same thing as well, because there it's definitely an extraordinary story. But in the DLC, um, it gets much smaller. And there's a scene when you. What is the DLC? Uh, downloadable content. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. No, so so there's the full game, and then these days, in order to make a little bit more money for their IP, right, they then okay. release extra downloadable content. Anyways, um, 
And in this DLC, um, you played Booker T. Washington, which was the hero, and he danced with the, the with with the uh, with the uh, the heroine of of the uh, of, of the tale, Elizabeth. And and I remember it was just so weird because you were just dancing, like there was nothing about it. You just went to a ball and danced. Oh, okay. And she looked into your eyes. You looked into her eyes. You guys had a conversation, and it was cool. <laughs> this is when you got really into video games. <laughs> no, no, but like, but no, but, but I, I I remember just thinking that that that, that I, I I've never like like you know that that was such such a domestic scene that you never really see in interactive media these days. Yeah. Um, such a small intimate domestic scene that you could see in any other place, but like by by having them look into your eyes you look into their eyes their digital eyes um you 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 get this sense of feigned intimacy yeah um from those creepy soulless digital eyes digital (laughs) eyes no but 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 i i I, from from that point on i was always intrigued by by first person storytelling Mm -hmm. um because i thought games had a very unique approach in order to place people into the eyes and ears of someone completely different yeah um so, um, so, so going forward, I, I really wanted to get into game design. I'm like, this game design's the thing. I got to do it. And then I realized that I had to learn how to, how to, how to model 3d model and code and JavaScript and C plus plus, which are all good things. I, I I'm learning as I'm going now. What was your major? I mean, I majored in English. Oh yeah. Perfect. I know, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Chaucer or C plus plus. Um, no, and so what? What happened was, um, is is I I just found that I would be no good to enter into the job market as I was because I I just didn't have the skills to compete in the job market with the, with game designers. Um, so then when I found VR video or 360 video, I was like, wait, I know how to make video, and 360 video is a you know you you, you can make the games that I want to make mm-hmm. with this medium. You you just have to like jump over a few hoops to kind of like tease some things together yeah and that's kind of where we got this idea of making interactive 360 videos okay that's interesting so you both kind of thought well maybe we can carve a niche out for ourselves in this area yeah Yeah. kind of as opposed to trying to compete with game designers yeah exactly who have gone to school for game design, I assume, or probably started when they were 10. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing, you've met game designers. I mean, like, you're right. Like, they do start when they're 10. Right. And, and mm-hmm. when they get to be 21, they're coding masters. Right. And it's like, I, I, I could not be at that level as they are. Yeah, yeah. So where where did the pivot come? You were doing this branded yeah. content, and uh-huh. then what have you pivoted towards? So first it was marketing, and then it was uh, story-driven experiences. Um, because we both come from a film background, we both love storytelling. Um, and so we found, you, you know, it was more of our passion to create, um, uh, like stories in VR and people weren't really doing that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or even like to this day, there's still not a ton of like, I'd say story VR experiences. It's more like a lot of first person shooting games and it's a lot still more niche and, within the male market than it is oh. <laughs> like the mass market and so we thought well why can't we m- give vr a wider appeal yeah and so our first <laughs> our first uh vr video like 360 interactive uh adventure was a rom-com was a romantic comedy which is the farthest away from uh first person shooter you could get yeah but a totally different <laughs> yeah, experience a totally different experience and people loved it yeah it was nothing like they had seen before so how VR. do you how do you shoot something like that so you wrote a script for it yeah and then so um we we wrote a script um at that time there was no 
screenwriting software that could because it was, it was an interactive it was a choose your own adventure okay where you played a person going on a ton of really bad dates okay journey to find the love of your life <laughs> in <laughs> vr um and how so sorry to cut in but no, you're you're playing this character it can be male or female yes. so you had to shoot bad dates for both sexes i yeah. assume um and then how long does a date last um, i guess if you fall in love it lasts <laughs> a, a while um each date is about like i want like 30 oh. seconds to a minute maybe yeah, like about, a minute each about yeah. a minute each yeah oh that's a pretty short They're date very quick well because they go they turn sour pretty quickly okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the thing about vr is you'd never want to keep someone in a headset for too long because if you're in a headset for like seven minutes you you start getting bored you kind of want to get out of it and so we made sure this experience was kept to a certain time limit ah. that it probably was about seven minutes is like the longest mm -hmm. people stayed in it um so we wanted it to move quickly because you can't cut you know um as often as you can in regular film which is what people are used to so you want to keep the scenes pretty short mm -hmm. well and it's similar to i mean if you want to go real quick film theory for a second i mean back when film was being first being invented i mean you would bring dancers or you would bring cowboys into a into a dark room and film them for 15 seconds and call that a motion picture right and 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 that that's just kind of how we got accustomed to this thing that we call movies it wasn't until about 10 or 15 years later that we got started getting feature films actual stories exactly actual yeah. stories exactly so yeah, i so, feel like the first one of the first videos that was very popular uh, that I feel like Edison had something to do with or I don't know. It was in New Jersey, but it was like a cat. It was like yeah. cat videos. Yeah, the first, <laughs> the first films were just like normal business. It was like taking a uh, film of like someone dancing or the... The famous story about the horse, uh, where like they—I forgot who what who it was. Well, no, it, 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 it we, we, uh, tangent. Um, <laughs> it, um, no, Stanford actually. Um, he he and one of his other rich buddies were getting in an argument. Um, about whether or not a horse. This was just you know just shows you how rudimentary like they were thinking, or I guess. But like they're like, does does a horse when it runs, does, do all four of its hooves lift off the ground? That was the question they needed. They needed to answer, and you know, to, to their knowledge, they they had no answer to that question. <laughs> they and, couldn't. Well, they couldn't watch it. Well, no, and, and, and too fast. Well, this thing, and they would watch it, but but yeah, but when a horse was at a full gallop, would 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 all four hooves lift off the ground, and it just was too fast for them to see it. And so they literally invented the motion picture in order to, to in order to handle this rich boy bet. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I think Stanford actually, the guy, so Stanford is the guy who actually founded the university, Stanford. Um, I think Stanford actually won the bet. Yeah. Cause he was right. That all four hooves were off the ground at one point. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so pretty much what they did is, is they wired up a, a still, a still camera to pretty much a, a bunch of pulleys and, and, you know, and then they pulled it, pulled it, pulled it, pulled it all the way down this horse track at the same speed as the horse in order to get this horse in perfect motion in the center of the frame every time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and, and that that's is widely considered as the first ever motion picture. Mm -hmm. And well, now you guys are there with VR. Yeah, exactly. That trying to figure out what the uh what's better than a horse video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so, yeah, so, so going back to, yeah, that's why we wanted to keep it short is because people just aren't traditionally used to, you know, putting on a plastic headset over their face for any longer than, say, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, we found that after 10 minutes, people just want to get out and they get impatient and they're, you know, they want to check their phones and their emails and they want to get going. Because not else. enough is happening or because they're, uh, used they're to uncomfortable. Because so, quick cuts, like yeah, in a traditional film, is that you have cuts and you have close ups to keep it interesting. And right. in VR, since it's more similar to theater, you can't 
do that. So you have to hold their attention in a, in a different way. And the way that we did that uh, was by making it interactive. Uh, we felt that people stayed in the headset much longer because they felt like they had agency in the film. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't feel like a seven-minute experience. It felt like two minutes. So your goal was to basically drive curiosity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you know, and to let people who haven't played the experience, because not many people have, um, what we mean by giving them agency is literally when you sit down on the date, you know, like like the girl would ask you or the guy, whoever you're dating, would ask you, oh, so what do you want to order? And then you would order like the ham or the chicken or the steak. Mm-hmm. And depending on what you ordered, that literally changed the date. Um, and, and, and so, so through the entire experience, you could be discovering something that someone else hasn't seen before. Right. And, and, and so it's as much a game of learning the story as it is a game of discovery and it is personalized to you as you're playing it. Yeah. So how did you guys write that? I mean, that sounds incredibly difficult. Sarah's the writer. <laughs> I don't want to give too much of my secrets away. Um, well, we had, you know, a basic three part story you know, beginning, middle, and end of conflict. <laughs> mm-hmm. You start um, in a bedroom. Um, so you get a text from your friend who you're supposed to go out with that night bailing on you and telling you, ah, oh, let's do it some other night. And so you're sitting in this dark bedroom by yourself. So what do you do? The first thing you pull out is our Tinder, <laughs> our fake Tinder that we called Faya app. Yeah. Um, and you, so you go on this dating app, and um, that's when you select if you're into guys or girls. Okay, and so this is, that, sorry, again, I'm just yeah. ignorant on all of this. So this is like, this is what has to happen. Mm-hmm. They they just, how do they know, the, how does the user know to pick up the phone? Or how does the user know, or is it just that's what they're seeing so initially? You're, you're in a dark room, and then you see um, your phone lights up and starts vibrating, and you hear that vibrate vibration and yeah. it's not directly in front of you you have to go find it oh, and okay. once you find it you hover over the, the interactive button which you click on and then your phone screen just pops up okay yeah all right um so yeah and then you go on your dates and then you end spoiler everyone ends with the same <laughs> ending um <laughs> they get thrown up on <laughs> <laughs> yeah so everyone has a different path but it, it does all end the same the same way okay um because I don't know how to describe. <laughs> well, well, yeah, no, I, I, at least it's, it's hard to, to come up with three equally good endings. So that's why I don't feel bad give every, giving everyone the same. Well, yeah, and, and not just that, but this kind of goes in a little bit of game design, design stuff. Um, but, you know, like even Bioshock or even Telltale or even some of the biggest AAA games out there that deal with this choose and adventure concept, mm-hmm. all of them give you the same linear story for the most mm-hmm. part and let, lets you affect change for many of like the smaller details. Oh, so like, okay. so like, so like, like, like fill in the noun, fill in like, like essentially you're playing a really complicated game of Mad Libs when you play these right. games. Um, but, you know, some people are really turned off, like the hardcore game really turned off by that because they think it's just lazy game design but i would argue that when you play these games um people don't like to be to feel like they're being left out you know at the end of the day if if you play an an ending that's not like someone else's ending then you immediately feel like you got the inferior ending Mm -hmm. because 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 of your sense of fomo Mm -hmm. um and so i've always found that when i play these games have really huge 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 uh changes in in the endings i always feel like i missed out on something and and I've talked to other people on that. I think they've, they've felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when 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 we go design our experiences, we purposely make it so that so that you are are sent on a very specific linear path, 
And that way you, you, you can even manip- manipulate the audience in a far more strategic way because you're not having to design around 17 to different other variables. Yeah. It's all about the illusion of choice, making people feel <laughs> like they had a really unique experience when they've only been infecting small changes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that just seemed, that seems like the hardest part is to have all those if you do have a lot of options to uh, cater to those options. Yeah. So for example, um, like some of the options, you were given three different options and you chose that one option. And um, what people didn't realize is no matter what option you chose, it's going to lead to the same scene, which Mm. one makes it easier on our part, but also just makes less branching happen so you can all end in the same place but you still feel like you've made a significant impact yeah Yeah. and and then in in the same vein of the mad lips idea um say you know you order the ham the steak or the chicken um you know you didn't realize that the girl a guy across from you had just lost their pig cow or chicken (laughs) and 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 and, and so the girl we'll just call her chrissy Chrissy says, oh, my gosh, you, you, you know, Francis was my pet chicken. And, and, and then she would storm out if you order the chicken. And, 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 and so, so it was essentially playing a game of Mad Libs, but it, but it made you feel like, oh, I chose the wrong choice or I yeah. chose that choice, which caused this bad thing to happen. Right. Oh, man, I should have chosen the So on the, the next pig. date, yeah, the next date you're picking the pork, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's seven minutes. What's going to keep a person coming back? Well, I would say, um, so, so that, that's just one experience. Right, right, um, right. And I would say that I think good storytelling um, is the killer app for VR. And th- that's a very broad statement. Um, and so we are trying to figure out what are the best stories and the most compelling stories that you can't get in any other medium. Um, so a, a lot of different things deal with these days, you know, even theaters going through this change and photography and movies and, you know, and, you know, proscenium theater, like they're all trying to figure out what makes our medium specific to this medium. What, what, what are the high points of this medium that really make it so that, that you can experience what we have to offer in any other medium, you know, because mm-hmm. TV's cannibalizing movies mm-hmm. and movies are cannibalizing theater and theaters can be cannibalizing books and, you know, and like, you know, and, and they're all cannibalizing each other. So each of them are trying to, kind of give themselves a better wall a better structure to build build within would you agree with that oh yeah i think the key to creating a cool vr experience is creating an experience that you can't get in the movies or you can't get on tv that you can only get in headset and Mm -hmm. that's the only way that you're going to get people to want to experience vr yeah so i think to answer your question is um and i think this is kind of going to lead us to our third pivot um, but but we we tried really hard to really think about what made VR so unique and special and, um, and, and, and how to break down these barriers of entry that are keeping people from buying VR on the consumer level. Because at the end of the day, no one is willing, even you know, as good as first date may be, who knows, but no one is going to be willing to pay four or five dollars to buy first date for them to play on their headset. The, the market's just not ready. Five for that. bucks. They won't pay five bucks. No. Honestly, like, really? like yeah, it, pe- people just are like, first of all, they're not buying headsets. Mm-hmm. And second of all, even if they do buy a headset, they are very not likely to buy content within the headset. Mm. So, so, so um, the consumer VR game is a very strange game right now because, you know, guys like Facebook and HTC and those guys went all in on the consumer level because they want it to be the next iPhone. Yeah. And it just wasn't. 
you know, and 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 so now you're seeing a big pullback in the VR industry. So you're telling me it's dead? It's no, dead. <laughs> no, no. Which 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 brings us to our third pivot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. You're pointing at me. <laughs> do, 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 I, I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> um. So our third pivot was going to, I think, as I said in the very beginning, location-based VR experiences, because, as KJ mentioned, there just isn't a huge portion of the world that has a VR headset in their home. Um, nor do people really find much of a reason. Like Samsung's giving away free headsets now with their Samsung phones because that's how desperately they want people to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people don't have VR headsets in their homes, they have to go outside, go to a VR arcade, go to a place to experience VR. And if they have to get out of their home to experience VR, why don't you create something special around that experience? something that they can't get in their own homes, like a, like combining tactile experiences with the virtual. So what could an example of that be without uh, giving away, giving away secrets? Well, no, we, we can actually talk on what we just, what we just released, um, mm-hmm. which was our next project, which we called Tripped. Um, that was a project that we did in collaboration with Think Tank um, and a couple of gents from Epic Immersive and the new uh, stash house of uh, escape room is coming out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, what we did is is we wanted to try to figure out how do you how do you mix um, something like immersive theater um, if you want we can kind of go go on and explain that a little bit more if you want um, but what, how do how do you mix immersive theater with VR um, and and you know like Sarah said how do you make VR site specific so that people will want to leave their homes go to some new cool location and experience something that they can't experience otherwise. Um, and, and, and so in that way, though, it seems harder, it seems harder. Like, like, think about it. I mean, you, well, it just seems weirder. It seems like, well, that's why I was wondering mm-hmm. what the example was, because if you're going to a place, why don't you just go to the thing that you're going to experience on the headset? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well so, so what, what tripped was is, um, we wanted to give you a psychedelic hallucinatory experience within the headset. <laughs> okay, there you well, go. Because because Think Tank, their theme was drink and smoke in West Coastin. And while I am not at all in the drug culture, not in the slightest, um, we, we thought it'd be kind of fun to kind of play around with, with, with like pharma reps and the fact that like, like you know, people are always testing out new drugs on people. Mm-hmm. And what if what if one of those drugs, the, one of those drug tests, went completely wrong and gave everyone like like an acid trip? <laughs> yeah. So this wasn't a standalone VR experience. This VR experience was the acid trip within the greater narrative. So, so when you walked in, you would encounter an actress, mm-hmm. and, and and then she would you know hand you a um a, a waiver which was full of like jokes and weird things that make you think you're already tripping. This is in real life. This is all in real okay, life. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, and then, and then then you'd walk in. She'd ask you a few questions. She'd tell a few jokes. People would kind of talk back to her a little bit. There'd be some interaction. They would sit down in the chairs, and and then we'd all administer them to them the drug which mm-hmm. was just an empty pill but you know people played along it was fun um and you know and we do a lot of other things so. yeah so we um we brought them in we made them sign paperwork um and then we took them in our quote-unquote drug testing facilities um and um took them through through a few surveys like we had we took them through an eye test and we made them do like a how many fingers am i holding up test very simple things everyone it's like, this is very simple. Why do we have to do this right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we tie them to their, cha- their chairs. We, we, we literally tied them up. Yeah, we tied them up because... <laughs> they signed away. The, yeah, they, they signed the waiver. <laughs> you know, we told them it was because this drug can create uh, convulsions and we don't want them convulsing off the chair. But it's also because 
this isn't um what is the word i'm looking for it's it's sit down vr rather than Oh, it's it it is well. Let's just call it headset VR rather than room scale VR. Yeah, room, room scale. That's what I was looking for. It's not room scale VR, so they they can't get off their seat and walk around. So we okay. have to keep them tied to their chair. Yeah. Um, and then we, um, this wasn't part of the VR, but we wrote a number on their hand, um, and then we put the heads. Oh, we gave them the pill. They had to swallow the an actual pill, and then we put the headset on, which we called um a medical visionary device. <laughs> <laughs> so we like pretended it wasn't VR that this was all part of the um, the drug experiment. Yeah, you are test subjects, and we're testing this drug out on you to see the side effects. Yeah, um, and, uh, and then the VR experience was all this huge acid trip, and we had two different paths you could go on, um, depending on where you sat in the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of it, we took off the headset and we had a post show as well. So the VR was only a component of it. Okay. Yeah. So 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 again, it was just figuring out how to package VR in a way that is more consumable to a to accepting audience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I assume part of it, like you said, maybe five ten percent of the population even knows about VR. Mm-hmm. So just getting those little doses of exposure to it is gonna make it uh, more consumable on a I guess in your home type, yeah, situation. Yeah, and now speaking on a higher level though, about like you know, because you say like this is weird, like like who the heck would do something like this? Um, well, I you know, and with, with Sarah's help, you know, and and with what she's learned at her job and everything, we, we've begun to realize that, um, you know, people. I mean, as much as Netflix is permeating our culture, we are so desperate to get out of our homes. You know, at the end of the day, our homes have kind of become this weird entertainment prison where, like, we're just consumed by YouTube videos and Facebook trash and, you know, and Netflix videos. And, like, just all, like, we get so much entertainment here that, we you know, non-stop. it's nonstop. So we want to get out and do something that we can post on our Instagram that we can tell our friends about the next day <laughs> that's actually a unique experience. Because at the end of the day, I, I think people are lacking unique experiences these days because you go to a water cooler and what do you talk about? You talk about Game of Thrones, which, right. which is a TV show. You know, like like people need to start, you know, and, and, and there is a need. And they want to start doing things that they can actually get an adrenaline rush from. They can feel scared about. They can feel love. They can feel, you know, different emotions that you don't get on such a personal level as something like a Netflix show. Mm. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, there's a buzzword that they use called the experience economy, which people are so far would, would shell out more money to have a unique experience than they would to just, you know, have a nice car or have a nice home. At, at least at least our generation is yeah. far more focused on traveling cool experiences, cool theater experiences, cool, you know, you know, it, it's just, it's just so much more based in location yeah. rather than just entertainment. Well, that seems so weird coming from someone that's developing VR. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. And, and, you know, and so, and the answer, the, the, the question that we're now, you know, cause now we've ended ourselves and I, I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, the, the question we're trying to answer within immersive theater, at least, which is the world we've now kind of entered ourselves into. Um, and we're kind of, you know, they've, they've, brought us in with open arms and we've been really happy to be there they're really great people um but we're trying to figure out because there's a big problem right now with immersive theater about scalability Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day you have 
um, you, you, you know, you need to pay every single actor to show up, mm. you know, be there for three to four hours. And unlike a proscenium stage, like you got CTG, they could bring in 400, 500, 600 people. No problem. They bring them in there. They, they sell for a hundred bucks a ticket. You pay all your actors, you pay all your people, bada bing, bada boom, you're done. You make money kind of. Um, but with immersive theater, um, you know, at the very most these days, you know, you got sleep no more, which is your high end experience. They, and they can bring in 200, 300 people, no problem. But for the most part, the vast majority of immersive theater, you can only bring in about maybe 10 to 15 to 20 people in, in, into your show at a time. Oh, uh, because they all need that unique experience. They all, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so what, you, what the problem is, is that you can't give that unique experience to 20 people. And in you know, or more. And so but in order to pay your actors and location fees and the space and the props and the lights and the people behind the scenes, like there's a lot of people involved in this. Yeah. Um, you need to charge exorbitant ticket prices or have a run that's that's three or four months long. And both of those are kind of unrealistic. Um, and so we're trying to use VR to kind of answer that question of how do you make this scalable? Yeah. So we're using VR to try to hopefully make um, individual unique experiences far more approachable and accessible and far cheaper yeah. since, since you can actually just you know you bring them in stuff them in a vr headset and just by having them sit there for five minutes the you and your friend ha- kind of like in tripped have now had a completely unique experience that you guys will talk talk about on the way home with the same ending with well, <laughs> well no it, well, actually for tripped it, it it didn't have the same ending oh really it, it, yeah it, the it, vr it, experience didn't have the same ending as as a whole after you took off your headset right it obviously had the same ending yeah <laughs> and and so and and so that that was like you know that was our small answer is how do you make unique experiences scalable and uh-huh. so that's where that's where we're kind of taking vr now yeah and I, I think that's kind of similar to what we were talking about towards the beginning how the indie theme parks are using vr rather than the larger theme parks like universal and disney um in the same way in immersive theater that that might be the answer to scaling it down that you don't have to build out a whole another set in physical props is that you can just use a headset to bring someone in another world in immersive theater which what's something that we're experimenting with yeah no and and i think there was a there was one cool example that i always reference and then i, I feel like we, we we've been on this question for now like 20 minutes um no but uh but there's one one example that i really like that i think really mixed together branded content with immersive theater with vr pretty well and that was the blade runner experience at um where Comic-Con. was it comic-con this year um so what they did is they actually had the vr headset act as your uh spaceship landing on another planet i think it was mars oh i don't know i don't know i, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, I another planet another planet <laughs> um no but 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 they used the headset in order or to put you in a spaceship and in a whole other world and had you crash land within the headset and, and then when you took the headset off they actually lowered the um the uh, frame in front of you they lowered the curtain in front of you to then reveal that that planet that you just crash landed on wait so, you just blew my mind there so yeah. uh so wait you got a headset on a VR headset? Yeah. Or, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so then so, you take the headset off. Yep. So 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 you, so you come in. You're onboarded by the actors or the actresses, and they're like, "Okay, you know, welcome to Space Command 101." Okay. Um, put on you your. You don't have the headset on yet. No. Yeah. And they're like, okay. like, 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 put on, put on your space goggles, and we'll be getting a go shortly. And then they, you know, kind of like a Disneyland ride, and then yeah. and then you put the VR goggles on, and then while you're on this, while you're on this Space Command 101, you guys crash land. And and then and then once you crash land, you you then are asked like, oh, emergency land, emergency land, take your take your headsets off right now, everyone. 
boop, they're all off. And, and then you look, and while your headsets were on and your your eyes were then covered, yeah. um, they actually pulled the curtain away to reveal the planet that, that, uh, that you crash landed on. Okay. Yeah. All right. Which, which, which I think is a very clever use of the VR headset and the constraints it has. Yeah, yeah. It also seems a little bit like uh, a little rudimentary. Yeah. In oh, that, yeah. in the way that that they're they're pulling back the curtain, <laughs> it yeah. seems very old school. Oh yeah, but I mean, but I I, th- I think it's steps like that that will really bring us forward, right? You know, because because in the day sometimes you you there it, it is possible to overcomplicate some things. Mm-hmm. And then I think Westworld had a similar experience. Um, I think it was at this year's Comic Con where you um, you got to be. It was like an immersive theater VR experience where you went through the process of like choosing a hat, choosing like the good or the bad side, the ho- that whole Westworld intro. And then when you went to go into Westworld, into the world, rather than building out a whole Western town, you put on the headset and that was yeah. the second part of the experience. So it was like a pre-show and then the VR experience. Gotcha. So. Okay. So um, I guess when you guys have a client that you're working with, are you having to temper expectations or are you exceeding expectations of what's possible? I would say neither. Um, <laughs> honestly, like, no, I'm, because cause, they're cause, just like, uh, whatever you got. I don't know. Well, no, be, well, because 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 we're at a point where we're still educating. You know, mm-hmm. so so like so like tempering or exceeding expectations is kind of irrelevant when you're still trying to explain to them what it actually is. Um, so so whenever we approach a client, um, we always need to, you know, we're the ones bringing the ideas, you know, because at the end of the day, if you deal in TV commercials, everyone's seen a TV commercial. And so the client knows exactly what they want. So then, then you're in, in the game of tempering expectations because very quickly y'all can get you know, spun into a circle really quick. Mm-hmm. But with VR, you're dealing with people who have no clue what VR actually is and they have no clue what is possible within VR. Right. And so they, they're literally approaching us to being like, well, we want to do a VR experience. We think VR is really cool. What do we do? And and, the, and then and then it's up to us basically fill in the blank for them and, and hopefully give them a product that they're really excited about. And more often than not, we found they're actually pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. And what's your, what is your guys' approach to that once a client approaches you guys and uh, they're like, we want something with VR. How do you, it sounds like, I mean, that sounds like uh, such a broad request. Yeah. Well, well, it, it, it all depends on, I mean, at least what I found with, with more branded content work is it depends on how they're exhibiting it. Um, you know, because, because I, I, I think exhibition and budget are two of the biggest things. So mm-hmm. like, you know, if, if they're exhibiting it to 20 people at a time as more of, an, as more of a show, then, of course, we'd go with, with, with our third approach, which is immersive theater and VR mixed. Um, but if, if they want something that's very passive, that's just people can just pass by and look at it, then that would be then traditional 360 video. But then we'd, also, we'd work with them to build out a, a way to, to showcase it that is cheap and easy to manage. Um, but then if, if they want something that is a little bit more hands-on and they're willing to bring on brand ambassadors and they're willing to bring on people to actually, you know, like to like run the booth for them or like something different, then we would then talk about something, you know, like that's interactive 360 video, but maybe not as tightly integrated as immersive theater. Okay. So, so, so I, I, I think it, it's, it's just very much scope and budget kind of distinguishes what they want to do in VR okay. and, 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 and then we'll kind of just fill in the creative with our three products that we've kind of invented along the way. Mm-hmm. And how have you guys found uh, working as a couple? Oh man, 
This, this is always a million dollar question, huh? <laughs> is, 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 is this is this the is this the the knuckleball you're talking about at the end? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is this is just a standard question about uh, you know. I think a lot of people they go through um, different business partners, and mm-hmm. a couple is a unique one. Yeah, it is a unique experience. It has it's a we call it a double edged sword that. It has its advantages. It's had its has its disadvantages, but I think it's brought us closer together. It's so cool to like have found someone that's ex- interested in the exact same things that you are, and we bring different skills to the table. Mm-hmm. So I think we work well as partners. Yeah, um, and you know, one thing that I think makes a relationship really cool, um, and I I don't mean to get a little too personal, but no, get um, personal. Oh, uh, here we go. Uh, it's if you could, personal. if you could cry, that would be really. <laughs> <helpful>. <laughs> Um, no, but it's, 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 um, we, we respect each other's knowledge in each other's mediums. Mm -hmm. So while I, while I'd like to think of myself as a writer, I am not the writer that Sarah is. And, you know, while, while Sarah likes to think herself as a producer, she she can't quite produce like I can. Um, and no, and, and, you know, and and I'm not saying that. Nice try, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like, but like, and and I don't, I don't mean to say that to like brag, but no, but like, you know, I, I know where her strengths are and she knows where my strengths are. Sure. And, and and so, so very rarely do we butt heads over each other's expertise because at the end of the the day, I'm like, Hey, Sarah, we need the script. Boop. And, And Sarah's like, Hey, we need an actor. Oop, comes comes over to me, and and so so at the end of the day, we know where each other's strengths are, and so and that makes it so easy to work together because because you're never ever arguing over creative control. Mm, okay. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think if we were both writers, if we were both directors, I think that would be a difficult situation. But from the fact that we're both interested in the same medium but different parts of the medium, I think that's what makes it a great relationship. Yeah. And what has, have there been any stumbling blocks? <laughs> any <laughs> hurdles? Think. <laughs> I mean, like initially when you were starting out? I mean, it was mainly just deadlines, I would say. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I would say deadlines bring out the worst in everybody. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, and it, like, like, even if you weren't a couple. I would yeah. say, I would say the hardest part is any, any creative partner, you go through your ups and downs going through a project to your highs and your lows we're like this is the greatest thing ever this is the worst thing ever right, right. this and, is ruining and my whenever life. you're with your creative partner like this is the worst thing ever you want to like go back to your significant other or like vent to a friend to mm. your, you know partner other partner um and it's hard because like you can't i'm i'm it <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Just, just come back to him so and you're like you're wrong you're still wrong <laughs> sorry <laughs> Yeah, and that's the part where you can't just be like, "You're right, honey. <laughs> You're always right." Yeah, um, but 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 at, at the end of the day, I would say that I mean I mean the positives far outweigh the negatives. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, but but going back to your original thing, where I think your original question was like, "What well, like where does it get hard?" Yeah, I, I just would say. Yeah, because you're right. It's just you can always never vent to the person you want to. and <laughs> Yeah, you can't come home after a long day of work and be like, oh, honey, let me tell you about how shitty my, <laughs> my boss is or KJ something. KJ at work. <laughs> he just was being a real a-hole today. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say the positives outweigh the negatives. And yeah. Well, have you have you found out things about each other that, yeah, that you didn't expect, like uh, creatively or... 
man, I, I don't think I've ever asked this question. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I would say I, I really respect Sarah's eye for quality. Hundred percent. Um, like I, I didn't realize that she was such a stickler for perfection, which, mm. which I, which is really good for me because if it were up to me, I just would get it done just to get it done and, and just move on to the next thing. But, but Sarah always reminds me to always slow down, bring it back a little bit, make sure it's perfect, and then move on. Um, and and so that that's one thing that I've definitely learned about her in this is is that when it comes to creative stuff, she does not put out bad shit, which which, which I really respect. That sounds like a great partnership because <laughs> I think a person that's a perfectionist sometimes can get so caught up in details and making sure everything mm-hmm. is as perfect as possible that it it takes forever a lot of times. And having a person like you to balance that out is probably yeah. Yeah, and I think we like fill in each other's blanks. Like whenever we're taking too long on something, I often act as like the AD being like, KJ, we got it. We have like two minutes. We have to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when like one of us gets heated or, or emotional, over- emotional or- the other person has to be the <laughs> stabilizer. And we've like reversed those positions many times. Yeah, so. and, and 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 like it, it sounds like we're schmoozing each other right now but like honestly i mean I, <laughs> like like oh honey you're so I don't, good i just don't think we've ever found the right way to answer this question well, no, well yeah and 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 it's like, like I, I mean straight up like honestly i mean we've we we work well together which is stupid like it like it, it, it shouldn't work this well but it does so no, that's so, not a bad thing yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's like well cool like, you like have I'm, to feel ashamed about i know because you know because most couples like can't work together they just go on date nights and movie nights but like for us like our date nights movie nights sometimes are work nights and i know sarah gets mad at me about that sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and and you know and we, we've worked harder to, to keep to keep date nights alive like now we do movie nights every now and then and we make sure friday nights are for like the more unique dates to go do cool things and tuesday mm-hmm. nights are like you know theater nights and you know we we, we we section off time to make sure that we will not work tonight mm-hmm. um which 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 makes it fun yeah that's it good. you can't get too wrapped up in your work which i think is the danger of working with i mean being in a relationship with your work partner is that it's really easy to just work 24 7 because like it is this is like our passion this is what we love doing so it's so easy for us to just keep doing it but yeah it just is, put your head down and yeah keep it's going. it's so important to take take a step back and like still you know do other stuff mm-hmm. do enjoyable experiences because also like you know if, if you sat down at a desk all day if i sat at a desk all day writing and never stopped and you'd were producing all day and never stopped we'd never have the chance to experience anything else and bring those experiences back to our experiences yeah it's so important to uh, do some you know research and development (laughs) well i had a professor of landscape architecture and i've mentioned him on numerous episodes now because he has given a lot of thought to creativity but one of the foundational things that he said is you've got to live in the world and you've got to be out in the world and experiencing how other people live and and that will spur your own creativity so it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying yeah and you know we're both quote-unquote experienced designers everything is an experience anything you do is an experience so I think it's so important to go out and live life so that you can bring it back into into our own projects and that's the one thing Sarah's taught me too um is that there's no such thing as a bad experience. 
um which, 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 <laughs> uh, like, like like i mean you know like like there are like you know you can go out and have a bad time but you, but then but then you think back on it and mean like think like what made it a bad yeah. time why did we have a bad time? why do we have a bad time <laughs> you know like like you know but you know even We've more done than that. that so many times yeah well yeah but like you think about it but then also too at the end of the day it's better that's than sitting at home doing nothing mm-hmm. you know any experience is better than no experience Okay, that was KJ and Sarah, and that is the podcast. Get out and experience the world, guys. Any experience is better than no experience. And if you want to experience their website, you like that segue? You can go to ingloriousvr.com. If you want more of the Design of Everything, you can go to the Design of Everything's Facebook page or follow the Design of Everything at the design of everything on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at Kyle Berseth. And I just want to say thank you all so much for listening. It's really a great thrill to get feedback on the podcast from all my design heads out there. And until next week, treat yourself to a little creativity in your own life. (laughs) 